Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live, where we're talking about the digital revolution that is turning every facet of our lives upside down. Woven in there with some uh, other things that have gone on in our crazy world here in this year that uh, will be very hard to forget, even though a lot of us might like to forget it. Uh, there's some good things going on there as well. And I think one of our monthly guests who always brings a really interesting perspective on all those different pluses and minuses and where we're headed into 2021 is Tony Uphoff, the CEO of Thomas. And Tony is one of our monthly digital all-stars. He brings a wealth of experience to this from the media industry, the technology industry, and business overall. Tony, welcome back. It, it's always good to have you. And after that buildup, I hope you're really ready to, to let her rip today. Bob, I am fired up and ready to go, number one. And number two, it is always great to be on the program with you. Tony, uh, thank you. You know, there's so many things happening right now. And I know that uh, one of the things that you brought up, um, especially is, you know, your company, Thomas, with its ThomasNet plat digital platform, you know, you are yourselves becoming immersed in data. And there's a point at which, right, everybody's looking for more data, we can all get overwhelmed with it. And you had some pretty interesting thoughts here on in some ways, this dilemma that companies face, what's the right approach to, you know, this burgeoning uh, set of data resources we all have, and where is that going to lead? Yeah, Bob, it's, it's we, we are at a fascinating time in this um, digital transformation to, to all of our businesses using data, particularly real-time data, to run our businesses. And I think we, we all are talking a great game. Many of us haven't completely understood how to do this. And, and I think there's a lot of reasons why. There's A, there's a huge difference between real-time data and a database and or you know, passive data that, that perhaps trails you know, an incident or a, a dynamic in the marketplace by 90 days. And I think many of us still sort of struggle to determine the difference. But in companies like ours that have unleashed all this real-time data, you know, we're at three and a half petabytes and growing probably close to four petabytes of ongoing buyer behavior data, which gives us this remarkable window into the industrial economy. But initially, Bob, early on, we, we were tracking all of that across 72,000 categories and we were overwhelmed by data. So we would sit down, started monthly, then it went bi-weekly, then it went weekly, and then it felt like several times a week we'd be sitting down looking at all of this data flow and we'd have these massive you know uh dashboards that we would build and i kind of realized oh you know what this is not going to really work well for us unless we absolutely define the metrics that matter to our business and you know at the end of the day those metrics are going to be around in our case the two-sided marketplace that we serve the buyers of industrial products and services and the suppliers of industrial products and services. And it sounds, Bob, overly simplistic, but I will tell you how much we see this in the market we serve. You know, the, the, the industrial and manufacturing market is now starting to get that, that avalanche of data going and particularly real-time data. You know, they've shifted from on-premise software to cloud applications and tools and even most advanced manufacturing today spins off a tremendous amount of real-time data. And a lot of them are in that kind of drinking from the fire hose stage where, where they're not quite sure yet how to harness the power of this incredible technology and focus it on really driving the flywheel of their business. You know, what are the, I'll use a number, Bob, you know, what are the five metrics that matter that actually drive 
the customer experience that we can constantly monitor and improve. And by definition, we're going to grow revenues and grow profits. Yeah, Tony, you know, that that's a great overview. And I, I, I got to tell you, um, when you had sent over a couple notes about some things you wanted to talk about today, I was uh, rerunning in my mind a, a conversation. I think I had it last week. It was from I got an email message from a person at a very, very sort of high growth. Uh, I think they recently went through an IPO, uh, but a company that really, really tracks a lot of uh, you know data. It, it's just very intense in that field. And they said they would they would like to uh, talk about a sponsorship of you know a part of the Cloudware site. And I said, okay, let's talk about it. And they said, well, we want to get in there, and you have to be able to guarantee us you know a certain number of impressions. And I just I said that's not what I do. And she said, you, you don't have the data. She said, because we could help you get the data. I said, no, it's not what I do. And it was just this conversation, you know, we were going on forth like this, like, you know, she wanted to say, but, you know, why don't you do so? It, you know, data is not the answer to everything. And she couldn't have been nicer, but I think it was one of those cases where she's reading off a script doing exactly what she'd been asked to do. But these were not either the metrics that mattered to me or that I think, I couldn't sort of fudge the metrics that would matter to her in hopes of well, doing this because it, I, I don't think the audience cares. It's such a fantastic example, Bob. And I think oftentimes digital media, right, is such a perfect example of, of something that um, is, uh, is the metrics. Um, we track everything that doesn't matter in, <laughs> in digital media and marketing. I'll give you a good example. I was giving a talk last year and we had probably about 250 current customers of Thomas and prospects. I was actually in uh, Pennsylvania. And I, we have a, a program we call Together for Industry. We talk about trend data and you know, what's, what's moving in terms of demand and you know, all those kinds of things. And I started to talk about the transformation of industrial sales and marketing and really focus on the digital transformation of marketing. And I actually said, you know, to, you know, anybody in the room get paid based on clicks and no hands go up. And so when I said, how many people are measuring clicks? 100% of the hands go up. I said, That's, that seems interesting. I said, by the way, I don't get paid based on clicks either. But it was kind of my point to lead into exactly what you're saying of, you know, Scott Galloway uses the term we're studying to the wrong test. You know, I think within the 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 context of this discussion around metrics that matter you know it may matter to you because you get paid based on clicks but that may not actually matter to your business and i think that's the other side of this gap you know we've got these cascading metrics that roll down through an organization and we, we can also see some level of of bad behavior based on measuring to the wrong metrics you and i've talked before about salesforce shifting from renewal dollars for customer success to uh, customer usage of their platform. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a small thing, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant move, right? And I bet you it's paid him huge dividends, but you know what? I bet you that wasn't easy too, because if I'm a customer success rep and I'm based on the dollars, you know, and that's how you measure me, now I'm based on how you measure customer's use of the platform. Boy, that's talk about a cultural shift, but there's mm -hmm. a great example of, you know, shifting towards the metrics that actually matter because they matter to the customer. If the customer is not using your platform, you get a big problem. Renewal is the least of your problem, right? It'll become the problem, but usage, uh, you know, precedes it, right? Yeah, yeah. And Tony, you know, it's interesting as you mentioned Salesforce. I, I thought that 
you know, your, your broad idea on this, how do companies identify the metrics that truly matter? And then what do those companies do about pursuing those, raising the visibility, getting everybody engaged and, uh, you know, really, really hone down on those things. Whether it's Salesforce, SAP is doing this, Oracle's doing this, Workday's doing this, you know, a number of companies right now, but they're talking more and more about these things of the moments that matter. You know, where yeah. is there a point yeah. as customer moves through the journey? I'm going to buy this, I'm going to buy that, a car, industrial product, uh, service, you know, a piece of clothing, whatever it might be, the moments that matter and the metrics that matter. And I wonder if that's a way, you know, sort of from the inside out and the uh, you know, those couple of different ways of looking at that. Where is that intersection of the moments that matter most? And then do you go the both the buyers and sellers at that point have the metrics that matter to allow them to make the optimal yeah. decision? I, you know, it's a fascinating, I, I, I saw your note on that and, and, and I want to, I want to really dig into that. I think it's a really interesting way to look at it. There was a, I mentioned this on the on the, the podcast before. There was a book that had a lot of influence on me early in my business life. And it was by a guy who's long since retired, I'm sure, named Jan Carlson, who's a turnaround expert. And he took over a badly damaged European airline uh, called SAS. And he wrote a book about the experience um, called uh, Moments of Truth. And it's really the exact point you're making on moments that matter. And so Back then, pre 9-11, he talked about you drive up to the curb and the way you're greeted by the person that's going to take your bag and check your luggage. You go to the ticket counter. You are greeted as you're getting on the airplane. You sit down in the seat. Your, your vision of is the seat clean? Is the tray clean? Is the window clean? Right. And, and he, he broke this down at almost remarkable level of detail. But what he was really describing, Bob, is not only these, these moments that matter, but he was really describing the full pardon in this context, expression of customer journey, that customer experience all the way through. And I just remember it at the time, it seems obvious today, but at the time that book had such an influence on me because I thought, oh, I had just been, here's the product, we produce the product and we sell it. I hadn't really thought about all this other, you know, kind of, you know, definition of it. And I, and I really love this moments that matter. I think that is, and to your point, by definition, moments that matter and metrics that matter are the same thing. Yeah, and I would and, argue, and the the fusion of those, and it it, it you know, and the, the most simplistic way of looking at it, Tony, I guess, is like you were talking about before. There is we have we have uh, it's not quite you know unleash the dogs of war. I don't mean to over uh, dramatize this, but yeah. There is now it's possible you could any person, any department, any functional group within a company, you could overwhelm them with data and you, you try to figure it out. Hey, you know, uh, you wanted more data, man, I'll give you more data. And then you did just try to figure it out at a point when every department and every company is trying to do those things. And if there's not a perfect harmony across the organization, they're going to be all out of whack with each other and measuring different things, spending a lot of time and energy. And meanwhile, what we're all finding these days through the digital and virtual lifestyles we've had to adopt over the last six or seven months is if these companies can't move as fast as I do without blinking, and in a lot of ways, lock in more tightly with me along every step of the way, if they can't do that, I'm going to go somewhere else. And I'll go that way quickly, and I will never go back. Yeah, and I think, Bob, implicit in your observation there is a really important thing for your listeners to think through a little bit is that moments that matter, metrics that matter, aren't engraved in concrete. As your business moves along, these are going to evolve. 
Some are going to go away because they're less relevant. New ones are going to emerge. And I think you do have to really be agile about that. I think about our own company in that regard, right? You know, 123-year-old company, it's made multiple transitions, obviously, over that time. The most recent of which in the last 18 months, I've shared with you and your listeners, we've, we've literally revamped literally every single technical system in the company from financial backbone to order entry system to sales and everything you can imagine without question. Well, while we, I think, did a reasonable job of defining the metrics that matter, there was a lag on the cultural understanding of then how to act on those. And, and boy, I, I'd love somebody, maybe one of your listeners has done it. I'd love somebody to share ways to, to shorten that cycle. Because I, I, I've you know, been involved in a lot of really exciting change management experiences. And Thomas is certainly close to the top of the list. But in every one of those, there was a lag between a new process, new system, right, to the cultural adoption. And, you know, when I was uh, younger in my career and, and less patient, I tried everything, you know, threatening, cajoling, you know, demanding and all the kind of nonsense that you go through. The only path that I found that really does it is around these ideas of metrics that matter. Let's look at this through the customer's point of view and let's define those metrics that matter. Let's agree on what they are. And then let's manage to that's the only path forward I found that shortens, Bob, that cycle of, hey, cool new technology, spinning out data and all kinds of cool stuff. Maybe cultural adoption is lagging a, a, a little bit. How do you get those two, to what I'm looking at, more aligned or, or you know, uh, together? Yeah, and Tony, I'm going to uh, create a cardinal sin here. I'm going to jump ahead and then jump back chronologically. All right, are you ready? Okay, so... I know that the third of your three excellent issues or topics, themes or subjects you wanted to talk about today is leadership. So I would posit from this great list of uh, pretty cool leadership things that you're going to get to in a couple minutes. If you bring this back to number one and that lag between the culture and the metrics and so on like that, there's the new challenge or demand or requirement for leaderships is how do I as a leader help squeeze more and more of that uncertainty out of the environment here and by giving more clarity as you just described to everybody why are these things so important right now why is it so essential that we get away from this which was unquestionably successful in the past but it won't be in the future and I suspect honey right salespeople, other folks there's a lot of people sitting there sees, you know, some new person come in, here's they're going to do, blah, blah, blah. And they'll say, hey, I'm going to wait this person out. We waited other people out before. Yep. This will come and go, yep. but it won't. And so I think, you know, you and other CEOs, it is so important to be able to wed this thing of inspired leadership, focused direction on people yep. by giving them the tools to do it. Instead of like you said earlier in your career, hey, look, I'll hit you with this really big hammer or, hey, I'll give you all the candy you want or, hey, you know, uh, you might make more money. You know, those things aren't going to do it these days. They, they will not help. You know, it's funny, Bob. I've, I've shared this anecdote with you through the years. When, when I uh, uh, graduated uh, university, I, I went and kicked around about a year and a half of Europe. And back then, boy, for a relatively inexpensive amount, you get a U-Rail pass and a backpack, and you just have a blast. And so I met various buddies along the way and just, just had a, a lot of fun. But I happened to have arrived in Paris and I hadn't been to anywhere in France yet on my travels. 
And I thought I understood where the youth hostel was and it was not in the best part of town. And so I'm, I'm getting close and I think I know what I'm doing, navigating around in their tube system and all that kind of stuff. It's getting dark and it's starting to rain and I'm getting a little bit antsy that I've not yet found this place. And so I see a gendarme directing traffic in the middle of the street. So I walk out in a pouring rainstorm and I, I'm, I'm a little amped up. And I said to the guy in English, can you tell me where the such and such youth hostel is? And he turns to me and, and says, uh, no, no parlez vous anglais. And so I said it louder in English. And then he said, no parlez vous anglais. And for the third time, I actually yelled the same thing, actually louder at the top <laughs> of my lungs. And it was at that moment in time, I'm standing here with my backpack. I'm standing with this guy. We both just started roaring, laughing so hard because I'm thinking, what kind of an idiot just keeps saying the same thing louder, assuming now everyone's going to understand it. So oftentimes when I get into that mode, I, I visualize this young Tony standing in the middle of a Parisian street, yelling at a gendarme at the top of his lungs in English yes. and assuming something positive was going to happen. Hey, if, if now's the time to, to talk about some of that leadership stuff, Bob, I, I think that's a really interesting topic. And, and certainly, I guess if you add the old Olympic judging degree of difficulty here of leading through a crisis, I, I think you're, you, you know, these are very unique times for leaders. I, I, you know, that's an obvious thing. But I think there's a lot of things that we're learning about leading in a crisis that can be applied to your point of change management and frankly even in more is there such a thing as a stable time or a more less dynamic time than we're living through today yeah uh tony sure we'd love to hear that and i i think you're right i get the sense now that there aren't so much stable times as in the times that we used to consider perhaps stable those are the times when people can say, okay, now, all right, we, we've survived that S curve at 120 miles an hour. Now we're in the straightaway, put the gas down, you know, yeah. slam yeah. on it. Here we go. Yeah. Now yeah. we're going to take off. Yeah. So there's turbulence that we have to get through and still make forward progress. And then when the turbulence ebbs a little bit, then whew, off yeah. we go. Off we and go. and but, sometimes Bob, as a leader, isn't it counterintuitive, right? So, you know, I always kind of boil things down in my overly simplistic way you know, you kind of look at the world through fear and greed. So, you know, every day, oh, I'm afraid of that. I don't want to mess with that. Oh, hey, I could make money over here. So I'm drawn to that. And I think oftentimes I find as a leader, it's my ability to have impulse control around greed that would either be short term or damaging or not fitting in the business model. And then also perhaps giving in to fear. Mm -hmm. Boy, okay, we just came through that turbulence. Let's just all calm down now for a little while. Let's not do any, let's not make any waves. Let's just calm down, people, and, and take it easy here. And I, I think you're right. You know, th th these are remarkable times of opportunity, but it requires leaders to be willing to push against their instincts oftentimes, right? Of, boy, these are frightening moments, or let me be overly greedy right now because I can and I can take advantage of markets. I think it, it's a time for leaders to make sure that they're calibrating their aggression and taking advantage of these opportunities because we, we may very well, Bob, turn around and realize, you know, we're gonna have a three to five year, you know, um, I'll call it growth opportunity that was created by some of these unfortunate, you know, situations that we're dealing with right now. 
Yes, yes, sir. Tony, uh, very eager to hear that. Um, I, please go right into that. Uh, I would also, on this general subject, I want to put you up in some good category here with um, uh, with Mark Benioff. So whatever it was, a month ago, four, five, six weeks ago, uh, Salesforce's most recent earnings call. So for them, it would have been their fiscal yep. Q2, I think at the end of July. So this would have come around around the end of August. But anybody who's interested in this, you know, another view on this leadership, Mark Benioff spent the hour of what typically is an earnings call with the CFO droning out a lot of financial numbers. Who are we as a company? Where are we going? But the, the big point that he was saying, Tony, through all this, he said, we are from top to bottom, end to end, every part of our company today is profoundly different than what it was like six months ago. He said, we're a completely different company. And he went through some of that from the philosophy, the mission, the operations, this and that and the focus. And he said, the outcome of all of that, if those are the, so they had to bear down on the metrics that matter. And for them, I think the moments that mattered were said, everything tied to the notion of getting closer to your customers so that we can be sure we're focusing on the things that matter most to customers. And so I'm not surprised that, you know, you are sort of tracking down uh, in a very similar way to what you're thinking of. And uh, please, it, the, the floor is yours, Dr. Uphoff. We would love to hear about these uh, great leadership ideas that, that, that you've put together. Thank you. And I apologize for the noise in the background. My ability to, to control noise at the home office is not quite uh, what I would always like it to be. But didn't I, hear anything. I had the uh, I had the honor of of uh, keynoting uh, uh, at a group called the Media Growth Summit. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's a few hundred uh, media executives that are running business information and media companies. And you know, some are going through a very very challenging time, particularly those that might have event driven portfolios and things like that. And so, I gave a talk on leading at a time of crisis. And I I, I came up with eight lessons learned. And boy. Bob, and you have been a part of uh, th that journey as well, really learned the hard way. And, and, I, and I'm not being self-deprecating here of, of going through very complicated times and making mistakes and learning from those and really you know, looking back and saying, hey, have I had 25 years of experience or have I repeated the same year 25 years and really kind of thinking more deeply about that. So you know, in, in, in rank order here, um, number one, focus on your true north. And I think this, this really kind of does cut to this idea of moments that matter, Bob. You know, what I find is for myself, but also business leaders that I watch, when things get tense, fear sets in and they lose sight of true north. You know, what, what are we serving here? What, what, what are the needs of my customer? How do we make money? What, do we, what are we doing here? And they start, spinning around a little bit. And I, I always try to remind myself, and we do this a lot at Thomas, we'll even do it in meetings where, you know, we'll repeat, you know, what's our true north here? Which direction are we really, what, what problem are we trying to solve? Communicate openly and often, and that sounds like a, like a ridiculous cliche, but again, when fear sets in, we actually think we're communicating. But I'd go back to my experience of communicating with the gendarme in the street corner in Paris. You know, we tend to be um, overly one-dimensional. We tend to be frightened about showing vulnerability. Um, we, we tend to, to be cautious about taking questions because we don't have all the answers. So we tend to speak in monologues and then not following up. 
And then we often, um, or pardon me, we don't communicate often enough. We think, well, I'll do a monthly town hall. Everybody know what's going on. That's not really going to help people. So you, you got to find the right way to communicate openly, honestly, transparently, but also in one-to-many and in smaller group settings so that you can really you know, support the team that you're, that you're working with. Um, and, and then the third, it really fits into that, Bob, is provide context and perspective. And that's really about this idea of 25 years of experience or the same year 25 times. And I know as we got into the height of the pandemic, boy, I went back and I thought about leading a business through um, the, the earthquake. And it was, it was around World Series time, as you remember, is during a World Series game in San Francisco and a young manager at Ziff Davis. And I had to lead a team of people through that experience. I had to lead a company through a downtown uh, New York City company, as you know, through 9-11. And you know, how in God's name do I get through this and understand and put this into perspective? So you know, leading an event-centric business through an 07-08 financial collapse, I, I kind of had to stop and say, hey, Tony, you, you, you haven't done this. You, you, you haven't done a pandemic, but you have done things that are like this. So lean on that context and perspective, and more importantly, give that to the people that you're working with. Um, set the tone. And so one of the things that we did at Thomas early on when the pandemic hit is I was relentless uh, about not backing down on the fiscal year. So our fiscal year ended at the end of September. So this is, you know, I guess the middle of March. And I could feel people were starting to say, oh man, we're having a great year. Boy, this is just gonna, you know, be, be the, uh, the arrow into our, you know, Achilles heel. And, oh, you know, that's, that's gonna be it. And I literally was a maniac. I would not let anybody back down. And I just relentlessly set that tone of this is still our year. Now we just tallied the fiscal year and we, we hit our numbers and, and, and it was a, an aggressive set of numbers. And I'm incredibly proud of that. And I don't take the credit, but I think what happened is by setting the tone, it's, you know, and, and we weren't falsely optimistic. We weren't trying to pretend that there weren't challenges and those types of things, but that, and I think that's what Benioff is doing. Now he's doing building on a great quarter, but setting that tone of, if you think we're gonna back down now, you get another thing coming. We're gonna double down at a time like this. The other thing, and this is hard right now, um, be visible, right? So be visible would be the fifth one, right? And, and think through how do you do that at a time like this? Well, clearly Zoom and you know, other technologies allow you to do that, but you can also do that in the written word. You can do that in a lot of different ways of maintaining visibility, both within your company with individuals in your company, but also in the market that you serve. And, and at, I, I, if anything, I've actually accelerated my visibility at a time like this, because I wanna set that tone, not just inside the, the, the virtual walls of my company, but out into the market that we serve. Um, the, the next one, keep up company culture, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, we, we have, have really worked hard at trying to stay innovative with everything from cooking classes, to wine tastings, to happy hours, to trivia nights, to all kinds of different things that we brought groups of people together to really keep up the company culture. And then the last two, Bob, um, redefine your new normal. So in other words, acknowledge that the world has changed. And in our case, we, we have openly said, hey, 
there will be a moment in time, hopefully not too long, where we will come back into a headquarters office, but it's not gonna be like it was. It's going to be different. And here's the way that we're modeling it. And here's the input we'd like from you to help us do this. But you know, it's going to be different. The good news is, boy, we're as productive as ever. So now we've got some optionality in how we wanna deploy that. And then the last one is, which really is the underpinning of this, we've doubled down on our digital transformation. So we launched um, one entire new business unit, Thomas Industrial Data, uh, in the middle of March. Um, and then we launched uh, badging uh, in the middle of March, which was a new feature on uh, thomasnet.com. Uh, and then we launched a video uh, companion to your Thomasnet supplier program that allows for a video tour of your factory. And um, those, those new business launches have generated over $3 million in revenue since March <laughs> that didn't exist before. And that purely happened, Bob, by, by being willing to say, let's not back down on the digital transformation. So a bit of a monologue there, I apologize, but those are the eight points. And man, I, I'd love to hear from some of your listeners and, and others what, what they might add to this or what they, what they might you know, delete and, and, uh, and, and substitute. Um, but I, I found that when I gave this talk and I really did some soul searching to, to kind of define the eight, um, I got a lot of feedback from it and a lot of resonance. And again, in and of themselves, none of them are, are you know, all that dramatic. Yeah, Tony, it's, it's a terrific list. Uh, focus on True North, communicate early and often, provide context and perspective, set the tone, be visible, keep the company culture going, redefine and state the new normal, double down on digital transformation, right? So I like, you know, you frame them in terms of action. There wasn't a lot of, you know, granola, crunchy, you know, happy talk there. Uh, uh, you know, I guess you said earlier in your career, you might've overreacted. You also maybe, you know, you're, you're, you know, a tough old, you know, seasoned executive now, you know, no. You, you were these, going for the tough old guy there. I heard you. You were no, going no, no. For I, I was, I was, uh, I was lapsing into French like your your buddy and uh, the gendarme. Uh, but you know, Bob, you you and I talked about this once before. Jim Collins and keep your keep your thought. I don't want to stop your flow there. But Jim Collins, in an interview that that had a huge impact on me. You know, God, I heard this about a year and a half ago, and I believe I've shared this with your listeners perhaps before, where he was asked about what defines successful leaders. And he very rapidly said, oh, there's three things. One is absolutely unshakable self-belief. One is a healthy dose of paranoia and self-doubt that balances out number, number uh, one. And the third is impulse control. Uh -huh. And aren't you and I kind of saying the same thing, right? If you think about it, right? It is, it is you know, the confidence to say, hey, you know, what, what are the eight things that we, we need to do? It's the paranoia of oh my God, is this the right eight? And if I thought this through and if I engage my team around this stuff, but then it's also the impulse control of, yeah, we still need to invest in digital transformation. So let's not back off on that, right? You know what I mean? I, I do, Tony. And I think, you know, you've nailed that. One of your sort of peers here on Cloud Wars Live, Chris Lockhead, he said early on, you know, in, in early March, he said, everybody's going to be faced with a choice. Are you going to be a victim or are you going to say, hey, this is a rotten awful, terrible thing. And we are going to fight through it. We are not going to back down. We're going to move forward with this. And I know even Tony, you know, a lot of implicit in what you're saying here about the new, you know, uh, the true North. And then also, you know, hey, we've changed some. 
for example, the, the CEO of ServiceNow, Bill McDermott, who I think is just a phenomenal communicator and underscoring one of your key points, he had a couple of lines there and he said, we are going to, since March, we are going to dramatically shorten the amount of time it takes us to develop a product, not because I think we we're slacking before, but because our customers need that more than ever. We will find a way to do this. And then uh, I, I believe I've mentioned this too before, Tony, but his whole point now about the new normal, one of the things he said is the language is going to change. He said, the office is the office. He said, but before it was the destination. From here forward, it's a productivity tool. Yeah. And so he's not saying the office goes away, but we're going to look at it differently. We're going to think about it differently. We're going to use it differently. And in so doing, you inspiring people to say, well, how does this resonate with me? Or what, what changes do I need to think about, about how I work, what I do, where I go, and just how that weaves together. And I think by having that open and regular and multi-level communication with people, you set the tone for telling others, it's okay to talk about this. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to feel Absolutely. like, eh, I'm not really getting this. Can you, you know, tell me what you think here? But along the way, telling people, have those conversations, dig into what this new normal is. But remember, we are not backing down from what our goals yeah. are, because at the yeah. end, nobody's going to sit back and say, hey, you know what? I feel bad for you. And, you know, um, I'm, you, your products aren't that good and their, their, their timing is, is bad, but I'll, I'll give you. It's hey, unfortunately, em empathy, you can't take to the bank and cash <laughs> it. Right. So uh, I, you know, I, I, I appreciate when people say, gosh, you guys managed through a very difficult time, but I appreciate even better when we delight a customer and we solve customers problems and we, we don't back down from doing that even at a, a difficult moment, even yeah. at a time of crisis. Yeah. Tony, if I could, I, I just want to, uh, again, I'll go back a little bit of time to, to share something with you. And I, I think this goes, it, it touches a little bit on, um, you know, your eight leadership ideas, because this anecdote I'm going to share with you ignores all of them. And uh, it goes back to your metrics that matter, moments that matter. But this is that one where, um, uh, you know, some publisher at a media company wanted to do this video a new video magazine, and he did all these focus groups all over the country, he was having trouble getting, you know, I can't really figure out what people think of these and, you know, how to shape the product that they want, and so on. And uh, I went in with him to one focus group he was doing in New York, and he was saying 30 minutes or 60 minutes, commercial at the beginning, commercial at the end, black and white or color, VHS or bit, you know, blah, 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 all these stuff. And I wrote the question down, they took it in, and uh, he looked at the question. He said, would anybody watch this? And all 15 people in the room said, no, uh, you know, unequivocally, no. And he, he said, why didn't you say Love so? That. And they said, you didn't ask. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, it's so classic. You set up a one way dialogue, and then are surprised that people are not raising things, and you train them yeah. to, you know, be quiet and answer my question. So it's a, uh, yeah, and I, you know, probably all of us have done some things like that where we were so certain. Your point number one from Jim Collins that we never allowed that self doubt to come in a little bit and yeah. twist it around some. So I liked your third one too. And can I ask you, Tony, for the last word? Because uh, uh, this notion of impulse control in wild times, right? Unless we're particularly disciplined, we have a tendency to fall back on impulse, right? The fear, the greed, the, un the concern, the, the, you know, the narrow minus, can, I, can we just do it the way we always did? You know, why do I have to change? Yeah. It 
I, I think, you know, I'll, I'll share from a, a, a personal point of view, I, I aspire to all three of those things, right? And, I, you know, I, I, on my best days, I think I'm able to have those in relative orbit. On my worst days, they're not in, in relative orbit. Um, I, I would say that impulse control for me was not difficult in that I didn't lack impulse control, but knowing when to flex that muscle was something that took experience. Right. So, you know, I, I could I, I knew when to say no in, in different aspects and, you know, I, I could understand those things. But impulse control, I'll give you give you a great example. You know, as a um, as as a as a young manager and leader coming up, I would lose patience with people if they didn't very rapidly understand what I was trying to explain. I fancied that I was a great communicator. And by God, how could they not immediately understand what I was trying to say? And. It, it, I unfortunately, without uh, real intentionality on my part, I made it obvious that I was getting impatient with them because they didn't understand. And I didn't, I, I was in a company at Zip Davis where that was, you know, at some levels kind of encouraged and that was a style. And I, I, I think to a certain extent, Bob, I was probably emulating some of the, the my mentors uh, with that style. And it wasn't until a few years that I, I got some experience and I realized, oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm actually shutting down engagement. I'm actually shutting off communication. I'm actually shutting off ideation. I'm, I'm telling people I don't want to hear what they have to say. And I'm telling people to just do exactly what I tell them to do, even though in my head, Bob, I, I, didn't, I didn't think that's what I was doing. So, it, it, it seems like perhaps a, a, a funny area to pick on impulse control, but that's probably the area I've worked the hardest at of, you know, I, I fancy I cycle pretty quickly and I can, I can see the pattern pretty quickly of learning when to hold back a little bit. You, you have actually seen this habit of mine where I'll actually physically sit on my hands. And it was because a mentor had given me find a physical cue to remind yourself to hold back the impulse to give the answer or to criticize somebody or whatever. So I think, I think that impulse control is something I think a lot about. And as I said before, I think, you know, when I do my best work, boy, I think that's in relative orbit with self-belief, self-doubt, and you know, impulse control. And every once in a while, I get too far over my skis on, on one of those. Um, but it, it you know, there's probably a book in there about how to apply impulse control to business. And I think normally when you say the term impulse control, people think, well, I'm not going to have the third drink or I'm not going to, you know, uh, uh, go out tonight because I got an early meeting. I, I think you and I are defining it far more in a in a day to day business context, you know, it, it, and also in the in the in the ongoing thread to our conversation, you know, to a certain extent, I had to fight the impulse control of, hey, just hunker down and save money. It's gonna be a crummy year, you know, middle of March, hold up in a two bedroom apartment in New York City, scared to death, not really sure if we could even go outside. Boy, let's just, let's just count our money and sit back and let's not really take any risks here. And I think that impulse control is saying, don't back down. Now we weren't being um, irresponsible. We weren't going the other direction and, and over spending or, or, or doing, but hey, we've put the pieces in place. We're prepared to do this now. Let's go. Let's not back down now. So there's two sides, if, if, if I'm making sense, Bob, on the on the impulse control piece in business. Absolutely, Tony. And, um, you know, you're, you're sitting on the hands, you know, for everybody's got to find that way to do it. 
May I share with you what, because I, I have a two-step thing and I, I'd like your feedback on this. Mine are this. <sighs> and then, what, helpful? Well, and, and Bob, as uh, in, in uh, 25 years of a very close friendship, I can say that I have uh, heard and seen the eye roll. You have a professional level eye roll. I, I have rarely seen someone with the eye roll skill that you have in your... <sighs> Um, is is really pretty good. Now, I'm always assuming that they were not directed at me, but I have witnessed those uh, on, on many occasions. Oddly enough, most of the time, it was only the two of us in the room, but I, I'm sure you were just, in a general sense, exacerbated with others. Uh, it, clearly, clearly. And I, I was just... I... <laughs> Was uh, mis misdirecting, uh, misdirecting. But, but, but Bobby, my, isn't that my all? Kidding aside, isn't that such a great example of you know we 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 all have a habit. You know these are these are ticks that we all have, and and that they get worse, right? When pressure goes up, yeah. when fear goes up, yeah. right? You know our shadow personalities come out under pressure, and they're never our best personality. No. <laughs> Your shadow personality is never the good one, you know. Time I uh, a ninth grade basketball coach who was the best coach in any sport I ever had. He said, uh, and you know we're a bunch of knuckleheads. I I don't think that any you know three of us together could have given him the definition of adversity. But he said, guys, he said I'll tell you what. He said some people say that adversity builds character. He said I don't believe that. He said I believe adversity reveals character. Yeah. And I yeah. think Tony, your eight it's points a there. Statement. You know, you're not asking, buddy, you know, double your profits, trim headcount by 10%, you know, you know, any nonsense like this, you know, do your stack ranking and burn from the bottom up, you know, to, well, it's just basic stuff. But I think it does come down to that thing. And I wanted to come back to that point about, you know, to ask you about impulse control, because I think what happens here, it weaves so much, something that I, I'm really finding a lot of our guests are wanting to talk about here, this new notion of leadership in today's yep. times. You don't throw out a lot of the things that great leaders yep. have always done, but I think Tony, you've really done a, a superb job of capturing these with those, uh, those eight points. They're simple, they're straightforward, they're interrelated. And if you get five, six, seven of those wrong together, each is gonna build on the other and, and make everyone more effective. So that is really a terrific list. And if I could, suggest to you, uh, because I'm just suggesting it, you would have, of course, to do all the work. I think that you should try to push this forward. You've got something really strong together with that and where and when you could, I hope you'll uh, continue to share that list, you know, with the keynote talk you gave and here and other places. That That's a real keeper, Tony. Great stuff. Great stuff. Thank you, Bob. Really appreciate it. Wonderful episode as usual, Tony. Uh, thank you so much. And to all of our guests out there, we hope that uh, as October is winding down, it's hard to believe, uh, moving through the year pretty quickly. Hope that um, you know, you've enjoyed this conversation with Tony Uphoff from Thomas. He'll be back next month. Uh, if you like what Tony has said, share that with me. I'll filter it through to him appropriately so he doesn't get a big head. If you don't like it, you know, write it to him directly, write to him. Yeah. It's good to have blunt feedback. Tony, yeah. thanks a million. We'll see you next hey, time. Hey, Bob, always fun. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you soon. Before you get into those, you know, eight key lessons about sort of the new style of leadership that's so vibrant for today and so vital, uh, please, I'm going to take a break for a word from our sponsor, BMC. BMC wants to know, is your business on its A game? 
That's when systems are intelligent by learning from markets where automation is paramount yet effortless, and when technology and people work as one in an enterprise. The A game is your business at its absolute best. BMC calls this the autonomous digital enterprise. Find out more at bmc.com slash A game.